This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 61st ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in cold and nasty Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing pretty great, Cameron. Um, I am great because I'm coming up with a new podcast, actually. It's going to be called the Missouri Basketball Podcast. Uh, We only talk about basketball and no other sports uh, for Mizzou. That's it. Oh, do we talk about dogs barking wow, in the background? That is, that is a powerful bark. Powerful bark. That was crazy. Um, uh, so Missouri Basketball Podcast. Yeah, yeah it's going to start this episode. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Am I invited? Sure, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, uh, then this is the first ever episode of the Missouri Basketball Podcast. That's exciting. Yeah. No other sports to talk about. <laughs> well, uh, we definitely are going to talk about basketball. So this is a perfect time to start that. We are going to preview the basketball team, look at the roster, talk about the players, what we expect from them, and then do a three-on-three draft of Mizzou basketball players and see. And we'll uh, put it to Twitter, see who uh, the, the people think, the followers think, have the best team of Mizzou basketball players. But before we do any of that, we do have a few news items. And... We are we are going to talk about football just a little just bit, just a tiny bit. I gotta we gotta get some a couple of thoughts out of the way, but yeah. we, we we won't bore you too much with it. But before all of that news, and the first thing is football related, Mizzou makes the top three for Antonio Doyle along with Texas A and M and Illinois. So just when we thought, I think we even said on this podcast that we were kind of over the ship has this sailed. recruitment, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it seems like Missouri's right there in it, potentially. Yeah. I still think he's going to go to A&M, um, and he's probably uh, including us in this top three just so he can uh, give us heartbreak whenever he picks A&M. Um, but he, Recruits he did, like to do that. It seems like it. Uh, he did eliminate, I believe, Oklahoma and LSU from his, uh, his other schools that he was thinking about. So, yeah, A&M, Missouri, and Illinois, I think he's going – a and M. I will not. But if he wants to go to Missouri, I I will I'll be happy about that. Oh, okay, cool. I won't even guess because I don't know anything. Uh, next news item: NC the in, the NCAA. If you've heard of them, will start changing rules to allow athletes to profit from their name, image, and likeness. So kind of taking the lead from California, who passed some laws trying to get that ball rolling the ncaa said okay yeah sure we'll start doing that Mm -hmm. and it's not expected to be in effect for several years now but to start yeah um i have two thoughts one is everybody on twitter all they want to talk about regarding this was a new ncaa football video game which would be awesome of course um i don't know that that's a sure thing people seem to think that that's a sure thing like oh it's happening you know 2022 we're gonna have a new game right and Probably a few more details will go into it. I would love that, but I think potentially the, uh, like, 
EA Sports or 2K, whoever decided to do something like that, um, they're probably a little gun shy just because of possible litigation and prior litigation that came about because of this sort of thing. So they're going to really do their due diligence and make sure that everything's on the up and up before they yeah, I feel like open it, that bag of worms. If that does happen, I feel like it'll be a couple years at least down the road after this kind of gets going. A do you open bit. a bag of worms? Gummy worms. A can of worms. It's definitely, that's the saying, it's a can okay. of worms, but it could be a bag of worms potentially. In maybe. this case, they're going to open a bag of worms. Okay. I've decided. Uh, the second thing about this rule change is one thing that I haven't really heard anybody explain, and maybe you have, or maybe you can explain it to me. What's to stop Joe's... Uh, Crap shack? Wrote Joe's... <laughs> <laughs> this is not an ad. <laughs> What's to stop Joe's Crab Shack in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee from saying, okay, recruit X, you're going to be the spokesperson for our establishment and we're going to pay you $100,000. And then uh, the local car dealership in Baton Rouge says, oh, same player, we're going to give you $200,000. These are made up numbers, obviously to be the spokesperson for our campaign. And, oh, I'm also a donor and an alumnus from LSU, but that's just, that's how it is. You're, we're paying for your likeness to put you on billboards and stuff. Right. And also this deal, you, there's no deal unless you go to LSU. <laughs> right. Is this, uh, I, I really don't know much about the, the details of this. And are, are, is this apply to recruits potentially or just uh players after they're officially enrolled are are they going to have to like hire some kind of agent to help navigate them through these endorsement they would have to i mean yeah so there's just a ton of details that go into this that i really don't like like you said i don't know any of that and what's going to go into it that's the one thing i see it just becoming completely corrupted i mean yeah i mean i guess some people might say that's not corruption. That's the market dictating right, that's, the value of a player, which, right, yeah, I get that. But at the same time, what are these bidding wars going to look like? And yeah, I don't know. I could just, I don't know how, none of us know exactly how bad it is right now with under the table dealings. Right. I could just see, you know, really bad situations, you know, family issues coming about if one... I could see like families being potentially like torn apart over these decisions that are costing them tens of thousands of dollars because they go, the kid wants to go to the different school and the parents want him to go to this school because they're going to pay X. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can just see many bags of worms being opened up there. Yeah. I I think you've got a good point. I mean, ultimately I think most people are in favor of the direction that this is going and probably including both of us. Yeah. but yeah, you're you're definitely right that there's there's gonna be some unforeseen issues that pop up and probably things that they can even go to great lengths to try to prepare themselves for. They're still gonna run into stuff where they're like, oh, I don't know, we don't know what to do about this. And there's probably, and and even now with so many things about the NCAA, there's so many wishy-washy things about the operations that we don't understand about the NCAA. Kind of just like the the application for waiver system is a great example where still to this day, nobody knows what the rhyme or reason is with how the NCAA functions with that. And I think that, you know, 10 years down the road, we're probably going to still be wondering 
yeah. like how some of these details work. Right. And like you said, I, I don't really know what the underground market is right now for that kind of stuff. I mean, that stuff probably happens. And We've heard some numbers from the different investigations and stuff, and some have been $10,000. Yeah. So uh, I guess it's better that some of this stuff will be legal now and it won't have to be under the table, but I still think it might be kind of the wild, wild west. Yep. Will Smith included. Uh, next news item, 2021 four-star forward Bryce Hopkins was in Columbia for an unofficial visit, uh, switching gears to basketball. So, yeah, good to get those kind of guys on campus. And I understand, I've read that they are going to try to get him back on an official visit as well. 2021 still a ways away, and there's going to be changes on the Mizzou roster before we get to that point. So it's not really worth it too much to look at scholarship situations just yet but that's a guy to keep an eye on did i miss any news i don't think so all right well missouri lost to kentucky and to be honest with our dear listeners we were at a halloween party at my house and the game was on we were watching it but maybe not the most attentive viewing of a Mizzou football game this season for me. Yeah. But I didn't really want to keep watching. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if the game was different, then maybe it would have been yeah. different for, uh, for us. But uh, just right off the bat, I mean, Mizzou looked like they were not interested in this game. The weather was terrible. Um, the offense looked completely the same as it did against Vanderbilt, just lifeless. Yeah. receivers dropping everything uh the only thing that maybe looked like it improved a little bit was missouri's offensive line looked like they were getting some push on on run blocking and there were some holes and um larry roundtree looked looked pretty decent and i think that's kind of another thing i wanted to talk about there, i have a lot of thoughts and i probably won't even take the time to, to share everything i think about this game but it, that seemed to be the one thing that was working early in the game and it seemed like we kind of abandoned that as the game went on. And I don't know if that's because we were playing from behind or or what it was. But um, c- clearly Kelly Bryant, you know, gets injured later on in the game. He's not 100%. He's not playing well anyway. And Taylor Powell comes in and seems like through all of that, we're still – we just never really ran the ball that much. We kind of abandoned it. And it was the only thing that was working early in the game. So that was definitely a uh, question mark for me. Yeah, the offense didn't really have that many opportunities to – do much i mean they were not on the field that much they were going three and out you know just very regularly and getting stuck in third and long situations right uh kelly bryant had a fumble like you mentioned the drops and it was terrible i saw where uh kelly bryant has the highest kelly bryant's receivers have the highest drop rate for sure in the sec did i see that it was worse than that i can't i I think all i saw was that it was the worst in the sec yeah and it wasn't really that close yeah there were so many drop passes in this game and uh and like we've talked a little bit about the last few weeks how alberto is you know like an all-american tight end and he didn't have a catch in this game i'm not sure if he was targeted uh maybe one or two times um jalen knox had like one catch for less than 10 yards and 
Cam Scott had like multiple drops and Jonathan Johnson. I just like who none of those guys did anything. And who who is the guy that we're going to be able to rely on when, you know, those those tough third down catches and cuz right now it doesn't look like anybody. Maybe Tyler Beatty. That's what I was going to say. Um cuz he's they, the only bright spot of the whole night. Yeah, they should have just kept going back to that. I yeah. mean I watched I'm a Panthers fan, so I watch how they use Christian McCaffrey, and it's just insane, the usage. But he's the second read on pretty much every pass play. Yeah, I mean, why not? They look downfield and then immediately look to him right. to make a play. You've got a you've got a athletic you know, guy who can get in the open space, make moves, and can carry the ball, knows, you know, has great field vision. Why not get him in space and throw him the ball? I mean, that just seems so simple, but it seems like teams forget about it. And obviously, the only good play that happened all night was was that exact thing, was just getting Tyler Beatty in space, getting a few blockers in front of him, and just letting him go. 74 yards. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a small window of this game where it looked like Missouri might get get back in it. That didn't last very long. but um, And I, I think the defense kind of took some, some heat for this game, and, and, you know, understandably so for some reason, because, you know, that they were facing a third third or fourth string quarterback who's not wide receiver really even a quarterback and yeah he ran wild all over us and 204 yards he threw the ball carries. he threw the ball like what like six or seven times seven times the team threw it eight times total for 63 yards right so we knew that those the game plan coming in they're completely one-dimensional they can't pass at all and he still ran for like 200 yards and two touchdowns or something just absurd so i understand like yeah the defense didn't play great but they're on the field the whole game because the offense just goes three and out and gets off the field and so the defense is exhausted they're playing the whole game and like the pouring down rain and yeah um it's it's tough to play against an athletic guy when they're using that misdirection in the run game it's it was a recipe for disaster coupled with some questionable coaching decisions the the play right before halftime where Missouri's got the ball they're like 80 yards away from their from the end zone and you know there's like a you know like a minute left or something and uh they call two timeouts to try to extend the drive because I I don't know why they did that so what what happened did Kelly Bryant fumble yeah and then so so after Barry Odom calls two timeouts to try and extend the drive to give them I guess a chance to maybe kick a long field goal whenever the offense clearly hasn't shown they're capable of doing anything uh, yeah, Kelly Bryant fumbles, and Kentucky gets the ball with 22 seconds left with, like, 20 yards to go, and they score again, and it goes up, like, 22-0 to zero at halftime. And it just makes the game seem so much worse than it was. And they should have just taken a knee and went into halftime when it was, like, 15-0, to zero, and it's just not as bad. And so just terrible execution, terrible coaching mistakes throughout the whole game. It looked like nobody wanted to be there. Um, this was just a different. This was a different kind of loss than I feel like I've watched, at least Barry Odom's teams. I feel like, I feel like Barry Odom's teams, you know, for the most part. There's been a couple of games, maybe like Purdue a couple of years ago. There's been a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, I feel like his teams really fight and and don't get blown out hardly ever. And they bounce back well from losses. We've talked about that, right? You know, every year when. They kind of get hit and everybody's doubting them. They they bounce back and have a really good game. Right. I, and this I, looked like, and we, we obviously both expected it, and maybe fool me twice, <laughs> shame on us, yeah. but uh, I, yeah, like there said, was I no fully, bounce back. I fully expected them to bounce back, and 
maybe we're a couple of clowns over here, man. I don't know, but because because uh, like you said, in in recent history, whenever there's a bad loss, Barry Odom was able to rally the troops, and that obviously did not happen, and it was probably even worse than they were against Vanderbilt. So Missouri is five and three now, two and two in conference, and I'm gonna look at the. SEC standings real quick. So Florida's at the top. They uh, well, Florida and Georgia both have one loss, but they play each other this week. So they're Florida's four and one. Georgia's three and one. Missouri is two and two. Tennessee is two and three. South Carolina is two and four. And Kentucky is two and four, and Vanderbilt is one and three. So Missouri's still not, I mean, still in a position to have a decent conference record, but they are so far from the special season that we were kind of oh, yeah. thinking That's... was possible and hoping for at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, at this point, there's not any game left on the schedule that i would consider an easy win even arkansas it's it's on the road it's on the road i i don't know that i see us winning that game if at least we're going to continue the playing the way we have been so at this point the offense the offense not being able to do anything against vanderbilt and kentucky is something that's terribly terribly wrong yeah Yeah, that is incredibly alarming yeah so um do you have anything else you want to say about the kentucky game uh specifically no i i don't know what it is about running quarterbacks i mean i feel like it's easy to kind of lump them together and say that that's a problem that missouri has but they it's that's kind of been a repeat thing i mean wyoming took advantage of them that way uh vanderbilt's backup that was more athletic had more success Ole Miss had success running the ball with their quarterbacks, and now Kentucky just ran all over them. Looking back at the Ole Miss game, I can't believe we did not get destroyed in that game because that those were probably two of the best running quarterbacks that we faced because they, yeah. they could actually throw too. Right. I cannot believe we won that game. Looking back at some of the other results of, of similar well, Missouri's offense just went crazy in the third quarter, scored on like almost every possession except one maybe, Yeah. scored 23 points in the third quarter. And that, they just put them away there. Yeah, that was enough. And I just, I I'm, don't know. I'm just trying to think what what could have possibly happened to make the team just have this dramatic of a turnaround midseason, like for the worse. It, it almost makes me wonder if if something happened in the locker room. I I don't know. Well, I did see that uh, Tristan Colon Castillo was kind of calling out. Just uh, he didn't give specifics, obviously, but he was calling out teammates saying that not everybody is locked in. I can't remember his exact exact words, but he said that there's definitely issues off the field, off outside of game days. There's issues that need to be addressed. Hmm. So he was kind of calling out some of his teammates there Yeah, uh, without naming names. But I know a lot of people immediately thought of, you know, does Missouri know the ruling of the NCAA, um, the appeal the appeal and that was something that came to my mind too and missouri 
you know, just flat out is just denying that, that we don't know anything. I think I believe them. There were those rumors a, a, few, a couple of weeks ago that they did, that they were being told. Right. So, But I, I think that we would know at this point. If, if, if Missouri learned before the Vanderbilt game, I think that it would have to be public knowledge by now. Yeah. Stuff just gets out. And I think the NCAA would probably have published that information by now. Yeah, I think so. So I don't think that's it, but I, I don't know, man. I don't want to, like, speculate on stuff that's just completely hypothetical, but it really is just crazy how bad of a turn we just took all, all of a sudden. Taylor Powell did see some action. You mentioned that Kelly Bryant uh, was injured. He came up holding his hamstring at one point and definitely looked hobbled when he was running around. He played a little bit after that, but then Taylor Powell came in and, to his credit, he was trying to get something happening in the passing game. Yeah, he he looked good. He looked yeah. throwing good throwing the ball. And he was it, I mean, decisive. It was pouring down rain. Yeah, so not good conditions at all. His wide receivers are not helping him out, at least not right now. So I I actually felt encouraged by Taylor Powell's play. He looked like he was more comfortable passing, way more comfortable passing than Kelly Bryant. And it almost looked like he was more comfortable in the pocket for sure. Like yeah. he, he just like confidently he, dropped back and he, he was wasn't just, immediately rolling out. Yeah. He, he didn't look heading towards the sideline. like all hectic and everything. Like sometimes Kelly looks a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was encouraging. I, I, I don't even know if he's going to be the quarterback of, of the future. I don't know if he's going to play next year. He's going to have a lot of competition for that job with, with Sean Robinson and Connor Bazelak. So he, I mean, he might be, he might be there. He might not be, but He'll be in the competition for sure. Yeah. Um. How? What, what would? What were you wanting to transition? I was to gonna next? just bring up this Twitter poll that I put up. Well, um, let's real quick. Let's just talk briefly. Obviously, Missouri has a bye this week. Then they play at Georgia, home against Florida, then home against Tennessee, then at Arkansas in Little Rock to close out the season. So four games remaining. Best case scenario, they win two of those at this point. I mean, you cannot even come close to expecting them to win at Georgia or no. even at home against Florida because, no. I mean, they just look like a completely different team. I would have been fine with anybody that wanted to say that those could be wins um, three weeks ago, but now there's no way you can even guess that. So They would almost two. have to have more dramatic of a turn in the positive yep to have a chance in either one of those games so two more wins puts them at seven wins on the season yeah so i would say man i don't even know like the way they've played the last two games they don't beat anyone they don't beat anyone tennessee has looked really good the last two weeks yeah um i I don't know i feel like they rebound and i guess to some degree and and beat tennessee at home and maybe have a shot to knock off arkansas on the road but if they're coming off a four game losing streak and it just uh people are i mean obviously nobody expects them to win against georgia and florida but that'll still be a four game losing streak and i don't know the negativity in the fan base will not go away after you losing know what could be the games. most mizzou thing ever like is if they beat georgia beat georgia and then <laughs> lose the last three games of the season yeah that that would truly just be like the most the Mizzou possible outcome is like knock off Georgia and like they're after losing to Vanderbilt and Kentucky, but I don't think it's gonna happen. But anyways, um, so so what what are your thoughts on on those last four games? 
I still think Missouri can win two of them. Two of them. What are your thought? What What are your feelings on on Barry Odom? How have they changed since last week, if at all? Well, it one week shouldn't really change things too much, since we are the rational Mizzou podcast, <laughs> and we try to be logical at all times. Missouri basketball podcast. Yes. Uh, that being said, you obviously tweeted out the same question as last week. I took a lot longer to answer this time. And I, part of it is the wording. I'm just like nitpicking your Twitter poll here to death. But is Barry Odom, is he the future or whatever? And I think the answer to that is no. But I also can't say fire him because I think we're in a position where if he has built something that is now a sustainable seven win eight win season then i feel like you actually have to ride with that for a few more seasons as awful as that sounds to just keep the continuity and make the position desirable to a better coach so if this is how things are going to be then no, I don't think he's the long-term future. Ten years from now, I don't think he should be the head coach. But firing him at the end of this season, I think will disrupt continuity with recruiting and the current roster to a degree. And they're not set up to make uh, an impact higher, in my opinion, that I don't think it would be worth it. Yeah, that's understandable. And sorry for my Twitter Post to keep making you so mad. <laughs> no, um, it's just I'm trying to. No, like, it's perplexing. I'm trying to put all this nuance into the question that you obviously can't do in a Twitter poll. Yeah, but I voted yes. I voted keep him. Is how I voted. It's just a, it's a strange circumstance that's not common because literally two or three weeks ago we're like on, we were on top of the world, and now we're like at the lowest crater in the world. And like how I'm pretty sure I, I said that they were going to beat Vanderbilt 51 to 17 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's not very many seasons that take this dramatic of a turn. I feel like, and I, I think I agree with you that if he were to be fired I, and you're not doing anything until the season's over, but, and I mean, I don't know, but it, what if they, what if they just lose out? And like, I still don't know what you do because, like you said, it just disrupts. It just disrupts continuity so much. But and it, I don't know. Do you just? It, does it make more sense to just wait until the program's dead to fire him? Like, what if we? He just comes back next they, year and they're still just terrible again. Yeah, I mean, if they lose out, then and, and I'm thinking about it as them winning two games and being seven and five. Okay, and then yeah, you, whatever you, happens, you got to just write it in the next year. Yeah. Uh, they lose out and they're five and seven, then I I would have to just trust Jim Sterk that if he was going to make a move that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And I think he has earned that from me at least that that he absolutely knows what he's doing with these hires so far. And if he has a guy out there that he has in, in mind, similar to how he worked things with Conzo Martin, then I would just be like, okay, yep, that's that's fine. If yeah. if they're five and seven at the end of the year, I'm gonna have no qualms with moving on. Right. Yeah, I I think at this point I agree. I'm just trusting Jim Sterk. Yeah, and it's not like 
I talked about recruiting continuity. It's not like they'd be disrupting the 20th ranked class in the country and the fifth best class in the SEC or something like that. Right. And a lot of times I feel like recruits stay on with a new coach anyway. You might lose a couple. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world. This is, I don't know. This is going to maybe sound, I don't know how it's going to sound, but if you look at the recruiting class, uh, a lot of these guys that, if there's a coaching change, they're going to jump ship to where exactly? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. That may be insulting or the value of the recruiting class, but at the same time. That's a standard Missouri class for you. Yeah. So on the Twitter poll, uh, posted it seven hours ago. We've got 440 votes. 53% says yes I am with Odom. 47% says no, fire Odom. How's that compared to this time last week? Last week, um, I had an I had an undecided choice on last week's uh, poll. But so la- we forced him to make a decision this week. Right. Last week after the Vanderbilt loss, 60% said yes, I'm with Odom. 16% said no, fire Odom. And then 24% said undecided. And... Again, I mean, I think that's why I took the undecided choice off was like, like you said, make them choose. And because I think it's so easy to just say I'm undecided because you got to wait and see. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what just, we're saying. We're, we're talking about, yeah, I they're, just, they're I, seven I just five. have to see a little bit more. Right. I, I have to, because you're not firing him now, it's, I'm, I'm asking you, are you, are we firing him after the season? And right. there's still four games left to go. And we just don't have enough information yet. Even as bad as the last two games have been, it's still just not enough information to to make a for sure decision. Agree. Yeah, I mean the difference between seven and five and five and seven is huge. Yeah. So, but if they're seven and five and they just beat Tennessee and Arkansas, I'm still not sure. I'm like they really they will in a better have beaten place. No good teams. Yeah, we're still in the, completely in the same boat still. I, I saw somebody mention something about Drew Locke, like leading this team, like if he were the quarterback of this team, how this season would look. And they were meaning Drew Locke would have won some of these games. And I'm just like, <laughs> maybe so many people were like tired of Drew Locke. It's so last easy year. to do that. Yeah. It's so easy just to the grass is always greener approach. Yeah, usually they're talking about the backup, but then this situation they're talking about the past quarterback. If you look stats-wise, Kelly Bryant is having almost the same season as James Franklin's 2013. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's become evident that he does not have the same type of supporting cast. All right, that's enough football for now, at least Mizzou football. Uh, let's talk the bigger picture in the college football landscape. So, a few weeks ago at the beginning of the season, the three of us drafted teams of college football teams, and we're going to see who has the most teams in the college football playoff at at the end of the season, uh, or who has the best average ranking of their four teams. So, I have LSU, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Wisconsin. So, Notre Dame and Wisconsin lost, so I'm going to have to be making some changes. Kyle has... Alabama, Penn State, Georgia, and Oregon. Really good week for Kyle. 
and producer Cameron has Ohio State, Oklahoma, Florida, and Auburn. And I'm going to go ahead and trade out Wisconsin since they proved they cannot beat Ohio State. And I'm going to pick up Lots to choose from. Appalachian State. <laughs> I'm going to pick up Minnesota because they're undefeated, and in theory, they could win the Big Ten. Yeah. In theory. Uh, Kyle, I'm assuming you're not going to change out any of your teams. You were correct. Producer Cameron, you want to make any changes? Uh, no. All right, then. I am going to change out Notre Dame, who got their second loss. And I'm going to pick up Baylor because they, in theory, could win the Big 12. (laughs) (laughs) And they are undefeated. Yeah. I don't know who those teams play. Probably Oklahoma. Well, Baylor's got a real good opportunity then. Um, But who else did you just trade out? I traded. Oh, Minnesota plays Penn State this week. There we go. I'm going to know everything I need to know after this weekend. All right. So, everybody stayed the same except I now have LSU, Clemson, Baylor, and Minnesota. Now, we're going to stick with the theme of college football playoff because before we come back into this room to record next week, the official college football playoff rankings will be announced. And... I want us to take a stab at what we think the top four plus the first team out of the final four are going to be when they announce the first rankings. We're probably going to have similar teams, but I think there could be some differences of opinion on like kind of how they're slotted. And I'll be interested to see if anybody has a team other than the one I have as the first team out. So I'll go ahead with my first team out. I have it as Penn State at number five. I have Penn State at number five. I have Florida at number five. What? So you see Florida beating Georgia this weekend? Yes. Interesting. Okay, okay. I see. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's bold. I could see... Well, first I'll give my number four team, which is Clemson. Same. Same. I could see a world where Clemson is the number five team in the initial rankings. Yeah, the only thing is, um, I mean, are our top three LSU, Alabama, Ohio State? Yes. In that order? Yes. No. I have Ohio State second. Okay. Either way, all three of those teams, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, and Penn State, are all in a bye this weekend. The only team out of those five that play anybody is Clemson and they play Wofford. So yeah, Penn State doesn't play Minnesota. I feel like those rankings oh, that's their next game. Whatever the rankings are right now with those teams, I feel like are probably not changing. Well, the college football playoff ranking is not determined by the AP, by the yeah. AP. And the coaches poll right now is different than the AP poll. Right. The coaches poll right now is Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Penn State. So same teams, just mixed up a little bit. I think I think LSU would have been the number one team in the college football playoff if it was released a month ago. I think 
their efficiency rankings on offense and defense are so top tier that they're they're the most well-rounded team i think their defense is better than alabama and i think their offense is just as good or better than alabama or ohio states it's gonna be a great game when they play yes hopefully i mean it'd be cool to see lsu play alabama and ohio state both this season who would you be rooting for in a in the lsu alabama matchup if it was being played tomorrow probably lsu just because they've not been there as recently and I, I same. I like Coach O as well. He's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ultimately, I guess I don't really care. No, I mean, but yeah, I guess if I had to pick one, or. I'll go with LSU. Okay. Well, we'll see if the uh, college football playoff committee has any drastically different thoughts. And if Florida does beat Georgia, then they'll definitely be there. Yeah, that'll be interesting. There could be I three like SEC teams in yeah. the in the top if georgia five. beats Cle- if georgia beats florida do they have a shot to sneak in the top five you think mm, i'm gonna say no, probably not, not over penn state so. no. probably not because all these all these five teams are undefeated yeah. yeah and georgia it's not like georgia lost to lsu they lost to south carolina yeah all right well we'll see how close all of our predictions are in a week and last little actually i think we get to be completely done with football now Uh, No, we're going to pick them at the end. But before we do that, it is time to preview the Missouri Tigers basketball team. So we'll just jump right into it. It is the third season for Missouri under head coach Conzo Martin. They went 20-13 and with 10 wins in the SEC in this first season and, of course, made the NCAA tournament as an eight seed. And then last year they went 15 and 17 with just five wins in conference play. So, Kyle, what do you remember about last season? Just general thoughts. Just a general thought. Yeah. Um, I remember a lot of our guys got injured. I remember Jeremiah Tillman fouled a lot, and I remember, like at times, it felt like we shot the ball really well and just like making kind of not desperate but just making threes was the only thing that kept that kept us in games at all yeah yeah especially Um, when tillman was in foul trouble yeah was that kind of cynical Mm, no was that accurate accurate that's honestly what i think of last season it was was frustrating it was was up and down for sure i think there was a there was a stretch where i don't know they beat like xavier and ucf and illinois illinois yeah Yeah, where i was like six game winning streak i i they kind of started making me think like is this a potential like bubble type mm-hmm. year are we you know do we have a shot at the tournament and then we quickly were brought back to earth when we got into sec play yeah yeah they were nine and three uh after the non-conference slate which is a recipe mm-hmm. for being right there on the bubble and their losses were to iowa state kansas state and temple which were solid teams temple the worst of that group but not a terrible loss but then they went in their first 15 sec games they were three and 12 so fell back down to earth pretty quickly obviously that coincided with mark smith getting injured and missing time but Pickett was out for a while too yep jordan geist was completely carrying this team yeah in every game 
Yeah, we saw uh, meaningful minutes being played by both KJ Santos and Ronnie Suggs. I'm confident that there will not be a situation where we are um, needing meaningful contributions from that level of player this year. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about this uh, yesterday, and I, to my knowledge, I, I don't know of any anywhere that KJ Santos has landed. I, I don't know that he's playing anywhere. No, I couldn't find anything. I was searching around a little bit and couldn't find anything about him. And you found an article from Rockham, basically, and I probably no, would have... it was have, uh, Kansas City Star. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, basically saying that uh, KJ Santos was the X factor going into last year, and I at the time, I've probably been like, eh, that makes sense. Yeah, That's they're going to plug him in at the four, yeah. and we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like totally like worst case scenario yeah and that's uh, we didn't even mention the biggest story of the whole season probably uh jonte porter not playing but we've talked about that enough that we don't really need to touch on that too much but yeah i mean i think out of the non-conference it looked like a team that could compete in the sec they definitely had some close games that they should have won uh the overtime loss to lsu obviously is a big one that was awful and uh, there were a couple, a couple other pretty close games. Florida on the road, another one that was very winnable. Led the whole game. Yeah. They did win a game in the SEC tournament uh, before being, and they had a shot at winning the whole thing. Remember, we outlined exactly how they could get an NCAA tournament berth, but they did. They couldn't beat they Auburn. They only came like four games. Yep. It was close. Yeah. Four so they finished. Short. They finished the season ranked. 68th in Kenpom with the 127th ranked offense and the 51st ranked defense. So defense coming along, but offense not nearly as efficient as it needed to be. And of course we can attribute some of that to Mark Smith being injured. So who is departing? Who has departed the program? It's a pretty good list of folks here. Obviously Jordan Geist, Kevin Purrier, and those were the two main contributors that will not be back. And then Ronnie Suggs, KJ Santos, Adam Wolf, and Christian Guess, who never actually suited up for the Tigers. I think he played one game. I think he played a few minutes in one game. He actually suited up for the Tigers in one game, like I said. <laughs> and uh, Adam Wolf, who obviously will be missed. Yeah. Um, man, I, I mean, it's like a lot of names, but. It's it's outside of Jordan Geist. It's not a ton of production. Kevin Purrier had a very strange. I mean, like a, he had a solid Mizzou career. Like he he will be a thousand a, point scorer. He, he will be admired, you know, for for his individual contributions and just his just his likability. I'll always um, remember his freshman season right. just being so impressed by and how that, that was my next point was he had, he had was. a fantastic freshman year because he was basically had to come in and and contribute and be almost like the leader of that team and then just really leveled off like the rest of his career but you know he still played meaningful minutes and uh was a good defender his uh game winner yeah against mississippi state yeah and uh auburn in the sec tournament oh yeah as well so yeah he had some great moments and um definitely you know we'll, we'll miss him and you know, brought some brought some good stuff to the table but Ultimately, I think he's pretty replaceable. Uh, I was about to say, spoiler, spoiler alert, uh, we, I think, are in agreement that Jordan Geist and Kevin Perrier's production will be replaced this season. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Uh, I don't know about KJ Santos, though. 
True, that'll be tough to replace. Um, the returners from last season include Mark Smith, Jeremiah Tillman, Javon Pickett, Torrance Watson, Xavier Pinson, Reed Nico, and Mitchell Smith. So let's just, I'm fine with just taking these one at a time and kind of diving in and really getting our thoughts on each one of these players. So we'll start with Mark Smith. Uh, he was on pace to be one of the better scorers in the SEC before uh, going out with the injury and just was shooting lights out from yeah. three. Really impressive. Yeah, he's easily, in my opinion, the, the best shooter on the team. He's probably the best pure scorer that that's on the roster. Um, he, In my opinion, he's kind of the X factor this season because obviously everybody knows about Drew Smith, and we'll talk about him in a, in a little while, and, and everybody knows about Jeremiah Tillman, whose obviously role is incredibly important. But I think t- for us to be as good as I think we can be, Mark Smith has got to be shooting you know, 40% from three like he was last year. Yeah, I just went over some of the highlights from last season on YouTube just to kind of remember some of those games. And not only was he making shots, he looks so confident when he is shooting the ball. Mm -hmm. He wants to be shooting the ball all the time. He's always calling for the ball. He's always got his hands ready, always got his feet in position to take the shot as soon as the ball touches his hands. He's got a beautiful looking shot as well. Yes, and I think that's... I mean, you just see some guys, they're just not always ready to take the shot. And he is ready and wants to be shooting the ball 100% of the time. And when it's going in, that's just amazing to watch. And I think another thing that's harder to quantify is his impact on defense. And he was a really good individual defender for Missouri. And he played a lot of minutes when he was in there because Conzo had confidence in him to just... He was a lot of times guarding the off-ball guard who was expected to score and he did a good job of limiting them and forcing them into inefficient shots basically yeah Yeah, the the analytics love him as well and um, he's just a consistent force at all times he's a threat to shoot from anywhere Um, low uh, turnover guy always in control Mm-hmm. can handle the ball a little bit yeah so I, i'm i'm really excited about mark smith uh, i hopefully he's healthy i know his his ankle injury kind of lingered on longer than i would have thought so, up into the preseason yeah. this year yeah yeah so hopefully he's good to go if he is i think he's gonna have a great year yeah he looked good at the open practice that we saw he was he wasn't held out of any drills or anything that i noticed so yeah. um i had one more thing that i was gonna say oh yeah just the fact that you know, barring injury, we get two more years of him, which is fantastic. So moving on to another guy, will we get two more years of him? In theory, yes, um, but it's kind of been known that he might be seeking a paycheck sooner rather than later, and that is Jeremiah Tillman. We've talked for literal days, it feels like, about his injury, or not injury, uh, his <laughs> foul issues. Thank goodness he's never been injured. Uh, his fouling issues and... Um, doesn't really do much good to harp on it too much, but, uh, when he is on the court, he makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, obviously defense with shot blocking and rebounding, but on offense, just sucking an extra player down into the paint and then being able to kick the ball out and just finish at the rim. Yeah. That's definitely a, a part of his game. That I hope to see him develop is just to continue kind of being a facilitator um, down low because I think a lot of times he looks t- to just kind of put his head down and, and take his man on kind of one-on-one and you know sometimes you know he's got a, he's got the ability to do that 
and and he can make it happen but i think i would like to see him work on more consistently looking for that that pass to get it back out because we have so many shooters especially when he's double teamed right so i think that'll be something i look forward to obviously the fouls hopefully he can you know um, learn to get that under control a little bit um, and just kind of really hone in his his mental focus and um, dur- during the games because we he's so valuable and we need him on the court so badly. Um, I, I honestly, we, we've heard in the preseasons and, and off seasons a lot about him developing a shot. You know, and I'm not I'm just not that worried about about that. And, and maybe that's something he needs to develop if he wants to play professionally. But for his very specific usage in the, on Missouri's basketball team, that's just not something I'm sure he, that needs to be nails, you know, or anything. And because we have other guys on the floor that can shoot. And I, I think he needs to be a guy that can be money from from down low, can get rebounds, can overpower people down low, and can facilitate and get the ball back out to the shooters. Yeah, and Conzo's talked about playing small ball and playing four guards surrounded by Tillman, and they did that some last year. I mean, they played picket at the four from time to time, and it it worked. It didn't work enough because they inevitably had to go back to Kevin Perrier, and that obviously caused caused the team to take a slight dip offensively when he was out there but um, if they can be successful with a four guard lineup and having Watson or uh, Pickett at the four then they're gonna have four good shooters on the floor at all time at all times and if somebody doubles in on Tillman he will have somebody wide open to kick it out to so obviously that's something he's been working on and it has to be if they're going to try that strategy at all. So, and he, and he had success with it last year. I think it's that's a marked, 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 Mark Smith, Mark Smith improvement from his freshman year to his sophomore year was his ability to navigate double teams yeah. and not turn the ball over like thirty five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Next on the list is Javon Pickett. Uh, he, along with Jeremiah Tillman, was a representative of the Mizzou Tigers at uh, the Basketball SEC Media Day. And so that tells me he's probably going to be sitting in that starting lineup quite a bit. And probably Torrance Watson's going to be coming off the bench like he started the season last year. And I think, obviously, since he started him as a freshman, Conzo Martin loves Javon Pickett. And he's a guy that we thought was going to be an Illinois uh, recruit for a long time, went and had a prep year, and then started many games for Missouri last year. Yep. Javon Pickett's pretty much been the, like, anti-KJ Santos, where he, like, came into the the program with, like, no expectations. Like, everyone was just like, oh, yeah, we'll take some guard depth. And he's turned into, like, going into his sophomore year, he's a, a leader on the team. And, man, I'm so high on Pickett. And maybe I'm delusional, but like I, re- I really think he's. I, I think a lot of people think he's athletically limited, but I, I really think that he is less limited than a lot of people think. That the general consensus is, and I, I think he's got a pretty high ceiling, at least as a college player. And just with how I think how smart of a player he is, and how hard of a worker he is, and the development that I feel like I've seen him make from last year to when we saw him. Uh, a few weeks ago at the open practice just like the way i think he's developed his body he looked like his his ball skills were so much better um his shooting just looked on point and i know it's a practice but i am like all in on the javon pickett train and i really think that he is going to be 
just he's gonna have a, a massive year and it's i sound like a broken record over here i think i've said that about like all three players so far but <laughs> i i really do mean it with Javon pickett I'm, I'm just super excited about him yeah i think especially he's going to be on the floor a lot because he provides consistent defense and guys that do that are going to get to play they're going to see a lot of minutes coming their way and that's been true of um, Mark Smith and Javon Pickett last year so I don't see any reason why that wouldn't continue and him just being more versatile on the offensive end is just going to give him even more of an opportunity to be on the floor and play a ton of minutes this year um, I was looking over the uh, just like uh, raw points per game stat from last year and Geist, Mark Smith, and Jeremiah Tillman were the only, were, were three players that averaged double figures. So Jeremiah Tillman was at 10 points per game, Mark Smith at 11, and Jordan Geist just a hair under 15 points per game. And I definitely think that Mark Smith can take that jump to that 15 points per game area that Jordan Geist was at last year. And I think, obviously, without injuries, his usage is going to be is going to be pretty high. And I think he's going to be used on that, like coming off of screens and just spot up shooter. And that leads us into Torrance Watson, who I think will be able to spell Mark Smith when he goes to the bench. And then also, you know, basically play the two spot, three spot and four spot sometimes for this team. Yeah. Yeah. Torrance Watson really came on at the end of last year. Just he just became this like aggressive shot maker and it was really cool to see kind of his confidence just improve throughout the year. So hopefully he, he continues to build on that. And I agree. I think he's going to maybe be the sixth man that kind of comes in and, and uh, takes out, you know, Javon Pickett or, or Mark Smith and maybe add some athleticism that maybe those other guys don't have in maybe a little bit different way. I think that's one maybe area that I want to see him expand. Cause we know he can shoot the three um, lights out. If, if he's on, he can make five or six in a game. Um, but I, I want to see him expand the other part of his offensive game a little bit, be able to, to drive to the hoop and, and not be totally one-dimensional because he and he showed he could do it last year, um, but I, I think I want to see him gain some more confidence in driving to the basket. Yeah, I think that's going to be important for all of the guards, but especially Watson and Mark Smith that are kind of, they're going to have this target on their back that's, you know, they're going to be known as shooters, three-point shooters, and you got to close out on them and run them off the three-point line. And so when teams do that, they have to be able to drive to the basket. And even if you're not converting that every time, you, you just have to be a threat to do it. And if you're getting to the free throw line, that's, in my opinion, that's just as good. And as long as you consistently show that you're a threat to do that, I think that'll just open up the offense even more. And I think that that's one area where the Mizzou offense as a whole could not live up to some people's expectations or maybe fall down to others' uh, low expectations of them if they become one-dimensional and just settle for three-pointers, contested three-pointers the entire game and don't realize that they need to get to the basket. Right, because that's what a lot of times last year became was Jordan Geist throwing up a three at the end of the shot clock because exactly. they couldn't find any other options. Right. Uh, one guy who did not have a problem going and getting a bucket when it was needed was 
Xavier Penson. We learned that he is Xavier Penson, not Xavier Penson. So uh, we'll just call him X. I think that's what the I think that's what his friends call him. But Mr. Penson, he was really good in those kind of late shot clock. Uh, the offense has lost its rhythm, isolation situations, and it's kind of a shame because that's definitely not what they want out of the offense but he was able to make it look good sometimes, mm -hmm. which you do need some of that if you just happen to be in that situation. But it seemed like he was more comfortable doing that than he was running the offense that they're trying to run. So obviously that's something he needs to work on. But he showed last year that he is a capable shot maker and obviously a gifted facilitator, even if sometimes he gets a little overzealous and turns the ball over. Yeah, I think that's a pretty clear area of uh, like an opportunity for him to improve his game is just to kind of nail down some of those sloppy plays and um, and turnovers and stuff. But I, I was surprised, like you said, at his shot making ability and just his explosiveness to get to the rim last year. I, I mean, we we knew that's kind of the kind of player he was. Was it was an athlete? Um, but to see the consistency that he had making shots when he got to the rim, I think I was impressed by that. Um, and, and again, he, he made some, some clutch threes in big games at times. And I did, I did not expect him to do that coming into the year. Yeah. He wasn't afraid to, when the ball swung to him on the perimeter, he just would pull the trigger on an open three and drain it. Mm -hmm. And it, his shot looks good and he's confident with it. So I, yeah, I absolutely was not expecting that. So that was a, uh, a pleasant surprise, but I think he can definitely take an, the next step with his facilitating. And I think he will give Conzo Martin an opportunity to play Drew Smith off the ball and use him as more of a scorer when when needed if Pinson can prove that he can protect the ball and just uh, make the not seek out the spectacular play and just make the play that needs to be made but I'm excited for his future I think he the what he showed last year gives me confidence that it's not that big of a deal that Missouri hasn't landed a Caleb Love or another marquee point guard in this upcoming class. Obviously, you'll take it if it's there, but uh, it's not like they're going to be, it's not going to be a wasteland at the point guard position. Yeah. So we've kind of gone through like the core of the team and, and the, the core of guys that are going to be here for hopefully their whole careers. And you know, that's three or four years with uh, with uh, <clears throat> Mark Smith, maybe Jeremiah Tillman for another two years, Pickett, Watson, Penson. That is a pretty impressive core of guys that could potentially play another two to three years at Mizzou. And that maybe excites me more than anything is we've got those guys that, at least from the outside looking in, look like they love to play together, um, have a lot of potential, and, and just the, the – kind of the uh the act of, of being together as a team for so long i mean you just really develop a chemistry with each other and and in my opinion a, a coach that looks like he's got the ability to take them where they want to go yeah i completely agree with everything you just said and if you look at those five guys i would take those five as a starting lineup over basically every starting lineup we saw under kim anderson <laughs> oh yeah for sure i mean easily and we're talking about 
I mean, two. Let me think here. I'm losing it. I mean, Mark Smith and Tillman obviously are going to be starters. And then potentially potentially two of those five are going to come off the bench, depending on what they do with at the four spot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just incredible that the depth you could have the first two guys off the bench are going to be players that would have started every game for Missouri three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so your hope is that everybody kind of just has some buy-in and and realizes like, I'm a massive contributor to this team. I'm not going to start, but I'm okay with my role. And cause not everybody can do that. And I don't know these guys personally, so I don't know what their reactions are going to be because like you said, not everybody can start. Um, And that's a big deal to a lot of guys. So I'm trusting that Conzo can kind of weave his magic and and get everybody on the same page and really bought in with with the kind of rowing the boat in the same direction, because um, those kind of things really can eat away at a team if there's there's guys kind of behind the scenes not happy with what their role is and feeling like they should be starting or whatnot. That stuff can be detrimental, but hopefully everybody's in the, going in the same direction. Yeah, and that's really not something that I'm overly concerned with, but it's always a possibility. It just seems like. You can almost have too much depth sometimes right. in, a, in, in that sense, I guess. So two returning players that are going to be reserve players this season, and that's kind of what they've been uh, their whole career, is uh, Reed Nico and Mitchell Smith. Uh, for for Nico, it's, it's pretty obvious what he's going to be there for. He's going to be there to give Tillman uh, a rest every once in a while, be uh, a backup when there's foul trouble, and... He showed last year that he is capable of being, he's capable of contributing when needed, but you don't want to need him to contribute all that often, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Like you said, he's very much uh, there to come in and, and give Tillman a break and hopefully provide some, some rim protection and get some rebounds. And um, I, I just don't think he's going to be expected to score. He never really has been. Um, and I think that I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Smith showed last year that he's capable of making a three-pointer every once in a while, which is fantastic. Um, I wonder if they'll play around with him at the five spot, if they really want to just basically have shooters all over the floor. If Tillman is not in the game, they could throw Mitchell Smith out there. He's got the height to still protect the rim a little bit, and then he can also make shots. So they could... They could do some interesting things with him at the five spot potentially. Yeah, he to me he's truly like the the most like wild card candidate on the whole team. Like, I just don't I don't really know where he fits in. It almost looked like they didn't really know all of last year like how he's going to be best used. Showed pr- some pretty impressive flashes at times where you know he'd make some really athletic plays. I mean he he he's what like seven feet tall, but yeah, he's like he's got, the same height as Tillman. He's got a pretty nice you know handle on the ball and and can shoot every once in a while. So. But at the same time, you know, I'm not really sure that if that I want him shooting a lot of threes when we have so many good guards that are you know, more capable shooters. But you know, if he if he can stretch the floor and can make a shot when he's open at here and there, then I think that he's fulfilling his purpose. And I, you know, maybe he'll come out and have a stronger season than I expect. But I just don't think he's going to be expected to contribute a ton. Yeah, I mean, if he comes out and looks like he deserves more playing time they'll they'll be able to find it i mean they can you can slide him in at the four and have right, him, they're, he they're can play alongside help. tillman right they're, they're potentially going to need some help 
down low or with yeah. some height. So if he can come in and, and play good defense and and get some rebounds, then you know, maybe he'll be fighting for more minutes. All right, those are all the players that we already know and love. So now we should we we'll save the best for last. Um, we'll start with the freshman. Uh, actually, I'm changing my mind again. We're going to start with Axel Okongo. He is a newcomer to the team, and along the same lines as Reed Nico, you don't really want to see him out there too much, but he's kind of an emergency big. He can come in with just with his height alone. He can protect the rim and hopefully just, like, you've, like we've been saying, grab some rebounds and finish dunks if he's wide open. I agree. Then we are on to the freshman class. Uh, Parker Brown was a red, he redshirted last year. So he's now on scholarship as a redshirt freshman. And tell me if you've heard this before, but hopefully in an emergency situation, he can come in, maybe uh, just play good defense, grab some rebounds, finish easy baskets around the rim. That's really all I'm looking for from him. I agree. So the freshman that we all want to talk about. We'll start with the highest ranked or rated freshman, according to the recruiting services, Trey Jackson. Originally was set to, we thought for sure he was going to come to Missouri. He decided he would commit to Minnesota, then decommitted and immediately changed his pledge to Missouri. And some Big Ten fans were not very happy with Conzo Martin, but nobody cares what they think so <laughs> now trey jack trey jackson is a missouri tiger yeah um I, i'm probably most intrigued by trey jackson out of the three freshmen uh just because he's probably more so in an area of need than the other two I, and kobe brown could uh probably facilitate in, in a similar way um, but i think i'm just excited to see trey jackson's athleticism it kind of fills a need in, in the way that last year we just don't we never have a ton of athleticism down low. I mean, I don't know. I, I just think he just brings something different that that is needed on the team. He's kind of the anti-Kevin Perrier. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and as much as we love Kevin Perrier, he's just he's going to be a, looking back on the just absolute hellscape that was the Kim Anderson era. He is a, like one of the lone bright spots. Yeah. But... Trey Jackson is, I'm struggling to say his name. He's the opposite. He is incredibly athletic, but not very polished yeah. and is going to have to grow into his role and refine his skills and in theory, get better every season to the point where he is uh, an all conference type contributor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm but not that's really exciting. I mean, it is exciting. I'm not expecting him to uh, come in and, and produce uh, right off the bat. Um, I don't know, but just because of our lineups landscape, I would not be surprised to see him start, even though I'm not sure that I really expect him to contribute much. Yeah. I mean, he fits that just kind of stereotypical stretch the floor four, yep. basically. I mean, he could step in and look the part immediately, mm -hmm. but go through a lot of growing pains and probably... Even if he did start, he wouldn't be playing that many minutes. They'd be cycling through guys at that position probably. And he could come out and um, be a little bit more polished than we expect. He did spend a year at Sunrise Christian. So yeah. Maybe he'll, he'll a, pull a Javon Pickett on us. I would. That would make me very happy if he did. 
Uh, moving over to Kobe Brown, he is more in the Kevin Perrier mold. Uh, a little bit less athletic, a little bit more polished, not as high of a rated recruit. And like Trey, he um, originally was not going to go to Missouri. He was committed to Texas A&M. They had a head coaching change, and he reopened his recruitment. Missouri jumped right back in and sealed the deal. He committed to Missouri. And a lot of people think he'll be like Kevin Perrier in that he'll be more equipped to contribute right off the bat as a freshman. Mm -hmm. I think what intrigues me about Kobe Brown is I feel like I know the least about him out of maybe anyone on the team. I, I don't, I, I think I'm just going to be really interested to see how they use him because they've given him such this wide scope of areas that he could be used almost like a Mitchell Smith where I'm just going to be interested to see what he excels at um, off the bat. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. I mean, that, there's that kind of mystique that always surrounds the freshman class where you're just waiting for somebody to kind of go out there and grab, uh, like get a chokehold on a 15 minutes per game yeah, and just really make something out of it. Yeah. So it, to me, I, I've always thought this, like I, I've had this like personal enjoyment of watching a guy go through his recruitment because it, it takes a long time and you know, it, it's a long process from the moment we start recruiting them through all of the process and them choosing Missouri and then, uh, you know, them coming to campus and going through practices and then finally starting the season. It's so rewarding, even almost like on a weird personal level to yeah. like see them do things and succeed. Oh yeah. You're like, like, man, I like, I'm so excited about like, yep. you know, Kobe Brown or Trey Jackson. That's like the I, way it was for, uh, especially Torrance Watson last year. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think his journey just encapsulates that feeling that you're talking about perfectly. Yeah. It almost like you share like the joy with them a little bit of like them achieving like success. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the player that we're going to be doing that the most with this year is easily Mario McKinney. I mean, he's a guy that we've seen at the top of the recruiting list for the state of Missouri for the last three years in the 2019 class. And We've watched him play in person. We watched him win a state championship last year. And everybody, and he's all over the internet with Ball is Life videos and whatnot. So I just think he's had so much exposure to former Zoo fans that people are just going to be really excited to see him play. He has the, the name legacy, you know, going back to Jimmy McKinney. So. It's going to be really exciting, and I personally feel like he will surprise a few people with how I don't think anybody really expects him to score very much, and they just see him as a super athletic, get-out-and-transition uh, guard who can also use that athleticism to be a lockdown defender if he puts his mind to it. Mm -hmm. And that is all true, but I think he's going to kind of pull a Xavier Pinson and splash home some threes and get to the rim creatively and be a little bit more polished in that regard than people might be expecting right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think his, his three point shot will be interesting. I think he can make some threes. I don't know how many threes he'll take, but I think what he will be superior at and will surprise people is his ability to get to the rim and make shots. And because I do think and probably me for the most part that's probably what i think about him uh, just getting out in space and in, tra in transition and, and finishing on the run and stuff but i i think that that is the one thing that'll that really surprise people is how quickly he can just explode to the basket 
and probably he might even be able to do it better than Penton. I don't know. I think that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, and he he's just so crafty, and we saw some of that from Penson, just that sort of craftiness to just get creative and move the ball around when you're in the air to find that little sliver of an opening mm-hmm. to finish at the rim. Yeah, I think he's just going to – I think Mizzou fans will love him right off the bat because not only is his game just – probably college ready at least in some degree to produce right now but i think people will just love his personality because he he's just seemed like so fearless like oh yeah i i don't know that the the confidence thing is going to be an issue with him i think he's just going to come right in and be like okay i i know what i can do well and i'm going to do it yep and i don't care who i'm going up against i can i can beat you to the basket yeah the first time he has a breakaway dunk i think just we're never going to get tired of seeing him in the in the open court just yeah. throwing down a tomahawk. Yeah, I, I don't know if he'll ever be, you know, the guy that's averaging double-digit points a game or anything like that, and maybe. Um, but I, I think he's just the kind of guy that every team needs to um, just kind of get everybody fired up and, yeah. and keep everybody focused on, on winning because ultimately that's the most important thing, and you can tell that he wants that more than oh, yeah. probably anybody out there. Yeah, and – Again, you kind of hope that the team is not in a position where they need him to score 12 points per game. You know, have games where he does score 12 points, of course, but they they shouldn't be in a position where they're needing that night in and night out. So that brings us to the last of the newcomers. The uh, I, I almost just said the Kelly Bryant of the Mizzou basketball team, but... Kind of. Yeah, I don't know if I want to make that comparison right at this Maybe very moment. Maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. Of course, we are talking about Drew Smith, the transfer from Evansville, an absolutely an absolute analytical darling, uh, just incredibly efficient on both sides of the ball. He's going to step right in and lead the team on the court from the point guard spot, be a facilitator who can also knock down shots, and most importantly probably for this Missouri team, not turn the ball over. So basically, exactly what this team needed yeah. the last two years. Yeah, I think uh, you, you nailed it with the turnover thing. I think that's that's really when I when I think of what Missouri did wrong last year. I mean, there was they had their offensive struggles. You know, they at times you know had trouble making shots and stuff. And but the the glaring thing that I, that really plagued them, especially early on in the year, was turnovers and. It almost seemed like they were fairly efficient at times. If you took out turnovers, they were just throwing away possessions, and like a like a large percentage of of, of their possessions were just disappearing because they were just throwing the ball to the other team or, or throwing out of bounds or whatever it is. And I think Drew Smith will significantly help lower help lower that significantly, and w- which is just going to be huge for for the Missouri offense and. I think that is the single biggest area of improvement from from last year to this year is just seeing more possessions actually be used because we're not throwing it away. Right. Yeah, and that's that's what he's going to contribute from day one. And I don't think there's going to be much of a learning curve. I mean, he's been in the program because he had the redshirt season last year. And as much as we all wanted him to be granted a waiver last year, uh, I mean, it's not the end of the world that he's going to have two more this year and then another year of eligibility to lead the team and especially with Jonte not playing last year I mean if if everything went perfectly and Jonte was healthy and Drew Smith 
was able to play immediately, then that's exactly what I would have wanted to happen. But with the team probably not being a tournament team without Jonte anyway, then I don't know. I, it's not, and obviously Conzo having the job security that he does, not needing a 20 win season every year right now. Having Drew Smith for the next two years is just, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's I can live with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and looking back on it, I would, I would probably sign up for the exact same thing. Yeah, obviously it sucked not, then. Not Jonte's injury, but right. um, yeah, under those circumstances, I would sign up for having Drew Smith this year and next year, probably ten out of ten times. If you had to guess how many points Drew Smith is going to average a game, what would what number would you throw out there? So. I mentioned that last year Geist was a little bit under 15 points per game, and I said I think Mark Smith will be will kind of take that spot as the leading scorer. I would like to see Tillman in that 12, 13 point per game range, which makes me think that Drew Smith will be third on the team at around 10 or 11, 10 to 12 points per game. That's fairly comparable. I was going to say around the probably 9 to 10 mark. Um, I just, I don't know. I think he has the ability to score, I think, but I think there's a lot of other guys on this team that are going to score. Um, so I, I don't know. It'll be, I just am so fascinated to see how he works into the offense. And I, I think it's possible that he may not score a lot, but when the team is struggling and really needs a bucket, he's going to be the guy that, that, that gets it. Yeah, I mean, he was so hyper-efficient shooting the ball at Evansville that I feel like you kind of just need to you got to get him some shots. Yeah. Because if he's going to be even close to that efficient at Missouri, you got to let him do something with it. Right, and, and I, I, I feel like he almost has a different kind of game than anybody else does where, yeah. I mean, he's going to shoot the three, but I feel like he almost excels at um, being crafty in the lane and, and kind of just hitting those, you know, shots at the elbow or whatever i watched him play um when, when he played for evansville he came to missouri state and and played a game here and i remember him i mean obviously being really pesky on the on the defensive end but um i was surprised at his ability to get to the rim and like just kind of his his game on the interior was was impressive to me and he shot a lot of i don't know if it was just the offense that evansville was running but he shot a lot of shots from the elbow mm -hmm. and was very efficient at that well, I mean, that doesn't sound too far off from Jordan Geis last year. He was, he kind of, he would get six or eight points per game just by getting into the lane and then pivoting three times and jumping sideways and falling backwards and throwing it in from eight feet away. Mm -hmm. So I could, you're definitely right though. I mean, his, uh, Drew Smith's two point shooting numbers at Evansville were off the charts. So obviously he was doing some of that as well. And it's easier to do when you're just so in control. And that's that's the one thing that looked it always kind of looked weird with Geist was he didn't look like he was always in control and he would just somehow find a way to get the ball in. And I think Drew Smith will be able to find a way to get the ball in, but it won't even look like he's he it won't look like he's panicking or it'll it'll look like this was just his plan all along. Was so I'm just going to dribble down in here. And I, I know what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to make this little two-pointer and just be incredibly efficient. But I think his scoring output is going to be dependent quite a bit on Xavier Pinson's ability to 
run the point guard spot without turning the ball over because I think that they will look to slide Drew over to the two and let Penson run the show if he can protect the ball. And if that happens, then they'll run Drew off screens and kind of use him in the Mark Smith role and let him shoot spot-up threes and stuff like that. So a lot of that will depend on Penson. Yeah. <clears throat> it'll it'll be cool to see these talented scorers with a better facilitator because oh, yeah. that just wasn't really there last Especially year. Especially Tillman. Yeah. I mean, Drew Smith could really unlock Tillman's potential by right. just... I mean, Tillman would get offensive fouls because he was having to fight for position for yeah, well, like minutes at a time because I don't, nobody could get him the ball. I, I would start to just be like, oh, here we go. Whenever yeah. he would just start pounding on his guy with a, you know, just backing him down, and I'm just not sure that offense needs to happen. You know, no. and, he, and he has, like I said, he has the ability to, you know, but it just doesn't need to happen as frequently as it was last year. But I think Drew Smith will have the court vision and awareness to get Tillman the ball in spots where he it will be more successful and Tillman won't have to do as much on his own so that's definitely something I look forward to I mean I think Drew Smith will step right in and kind of make us forget about Jordan Geist obviously we love Jordan Geist and I I think another thing is he will be more low-key I guess he he's not he doesn't have that like fieriness that Geist had where he was just a player that you liked to root against if you're the other team I think even opposing fan bases will love Drew Smith so we talked about doing a three-on-three draft however this we uh got talking basketball and (laughs) Missouri basketball podcast on this yeah uh basketball podcast and we talked for quite a while so we're gonna move the three-on-three draft to next week that's called a tease and nice job uh, we're gonna move right ahead with sec pick'em plus nebraska week nine so to reiterate three-on-three draft next week we'll also be going over the schedule and giving our record predictions so study up kyle for that Mm. and hopefully maybe we'll uh, ask the folks on twitter what they think the record will be but in the meantime we've got some picks to make uh last week we both got uh, some favorites correct in a&m lsu and alabama kyle you nailed it with the upset pick of tennessee and i picked against nebraska which is typically a good idea and they lost at home to indiana (laughs) So we both earned five points. Kyle's at 42, and I'm at 47. And we'll start it off this week with the matchup of the week in college football, as far as I'm concerned. Number eight, Georgia on the road at number six, Florida. Georgia is a a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. I don't know what it is about Florida, but I still just don't think I can buy in totally with them. I still just am skeptical. I I don't know why. But I think Georgia wins this game easily. I think I'm going to disagree with you. Partly just for the heck of it. And partly because... Is is Florida good? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, to some degree, I guess. They've, they've surprised me multiple times this year. Well, I think they're going to surprise you one more time. 
That would be something. I think they'll, they are going to beat Georgia and take a hold of the driver's seat in the SEC East. I was trying to decide who, like if I could pick who wins. If I got to decide the outcome, mm-hmm. I think I would let Florida win. For some yeah. reason, I just want the... I think so because I, th- I think Missouri has a better shot of beating Florida head-to-head. Oh, I was being much more uh, like just mean about it i just like the idea of georgia being the sort of runaway favorites at the beginning of the season and then just not going to the sec championship game (laughs) yeah so i'm gonna pick florida and then we have mississippi state another road favorite at arkansas mississippi state is a seven and a half point favorite i've done very well picking against mississippi state so far, I think I'm going to have... You've also done well picking against Arkansas. That's true, which I think I'm going to have to do here. I'll take Mississippi State. I agree. Then we have Ole Miss at number 11, Auburn. Auburn, a 19-point favorite at home. Um, I think Ole Miss will cover, but Auburn's going to win. Uh, I picked Ole Miss last week to get me an upset, and they failed me. So I'm done doing that. I'll pick Auburn. Uh, Kind of an interesting game here. I'm going to pull up the schedule of UAB because they go on the road and play Tennessee, who is pretty hot. And Tennessee is favored by 11.5 points. However, UAB, the Blazers are six and one and I was hoping they had beat somebody of note and come to find out they have not <laughs> they are six and one they have not played any good teams really so that I guess was I'll have to take Tennessee then yeah they uh they got the upset for me last week so I'm not like liking Tennessee <laughs> but now that Missouri's know. playing Kansas again in basketball, you're softening on Tennessee. I know. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Tennessee as well. Is Tennessee better than Missouri? We're going to find out. I'm afraid of the answer. Yeah, me too. Uh, Vanderbilt at South Carolina. South Carolina, 15-point favorite at home. South Carolina lost last week. I think so. I think that who did they play? Tennessee. Oh yeah. Yeah, I picked South Carolina. They started off pretty well and then fizzled out at the end of the game. I don't know. I don't know what I think about Vanderbilt right now because they look like Alabama against Missouri, but and I think they had a bye week last week, so that's the last game they've played. They might be feeling pretty good. I don't know. I think they'll. I think that this will actually be a pretty competitive game, but I think I have to pick South Carolina. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, South Carolina favored by 15 points. I mean, if, if there's anyone that's had a weirder year than Missouri, it might be South Carolina. Yeah, for sure. Like lowest of lows, highest of highs. Yeah. Yeah, they, there's, they're not going to lose to Vanderbilt at home, I don't think. And then, uh, too bad, producer Cameron had to leave early because... His Nebraska Cornhuskers are going to be in a close one, according to Vegas. 
They're only a two and a half point favorite at Purdue. Purdue has been pretty bad this year. I think they have two wins. Nebraska. One of them's against Vanderbilt, I'm pretty sure. That doesn't look good for Vanderbilt. But uh, Nebraska coming off the home loss to Indiana. What do you think? I don't know. Who are you going to pick? I'll pick the home team. I'll pick Purdue for the upset. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to keep pace with you. That's who I think I was going to pick Purdue anyway. So Okay. So we picked some favorites. Uh, we both... I think we only disagreed on one game. Georgia-Florida. Yep, Georgia-Florida. I guess I'll be rooting for Florida. Weirdo. Yeah. What? You picked Georgia. I love Georgia. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't like Georgia. All right. Let's wrap um, it up. Let's wrap it up. It's been a long one. It's been a good one, though. Oh, yeah. Missouri Basketball Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on Twitter, at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week. We're just going to talk more basketball. I'm never going to say after a win ever again. After a bye. After a bye.